Good evening and welcome to Chicago Tonight Latino Voices. I'm Joan Hernandez on the show tonight. Histories of discrimination, decades, centuries, legacies of discrimination. Illinois could overhaul how insurers decide car insurance premiums, what it could mean for you. Advice for how to navigate the spread of false information online and on social media. I want them to have the experience to go to like a Target or like a department store. We take you inside a free store in the Pilsen neighborhood. And from Chicago to Hollywood, local author Erica Sanchez talks about the upcoming film adaptation of her novel. And now to some of today's top, sto top stories. Former President Donald Trump is appealing a ruling that kicks him off the ballot in Illinois. The appeal comes after a ruling yesterday by a Cook County judge that bars Trump from appearing on the Illinois ballot due to his actions on January 6th. However, the judge put a hold on her own order in anticipation of an appeal. Illinois now joins Colorado and Maine in disqualifying Trump. The U.S. Supreme Court is expected to rule on the issue soon. It heard arguments on the Colorado case earlier this month. And former Alderman Carrie Austin appears, uh, makes her first appearance in federal court since her indictment more than two years ago. The judge says he will not dismiss the charges, despite her attorney saying Austin was too ill to help in her defense. Austin's attorney have also asked the judge to declare her medically unfit to stand trial. The judge has yet to rule on that request, which prosecutors oppose. Austin is facing charges that she took bribes from a developer and lied to FBI agents. A trial date has not been set. Seven men are filing petitions today to reverse decades-old convictions. Their attorneys say the convictions are tied to disgraced former Chicago police detective Renaldo Guevara, who has been accused by more than 50 people of framing them for murder and forcing false confessions. The seven men filing petitions today have all completed their sentences, but are maintaining their innocence. They're calling on Cook County State's attorney to vacate their convictions that they say they still still holding them back post-incarceration. I've been out since 2010. All doors have been closed on me. I try housing. It's hard to get housing. Jobs, hard. I'm still doing time mentally. According to the Exoneration Project, at least 44 murder convictions in cases investigated by Detective Guevara have been overturned. A reminder for Cook County property owners, the first installment of your property taxes are due today. After March 1st, any balance due is charged 0.75% interest per month. You can find your bill on the Cook County Treasurer's website. And to find out how your bill is calculated, you can visit WTTW.com news. A high-flying attraction is set to open at Navy Pier tomorrow. The flyover uses a 64-foot screen drone technology and fly motion seats simulating the, fly, the feeling of flight. How cool. Navy Pier says the attraction guides visitors across the city, diving down skyscrapers, skimming sidewalks, and swooping into iconic landmarks. The experience will also feature stories from Chicagoans like musician Corey Wilkins, Walt Whitman from the Soul Children's Choir, and Wrigley Field announcer Jeremiah Paprocki. Up next, Illinois examines whether auto insurance rates discriminate. Amanda Vinicky has a story right after this. Chicago Tonight, Latino Voices, is made possible in part 
by the support of these donors. It's the law. If you drive a car, you have to have auto insurance. Critics say discrimination is baked into insurance rates. Amanda Vinicky joins us now with more on proposed legislation that would overhaul how rates are set. Amanda, what's the concept behind these proposals? So, Joanna, there is a pair of them, and really what they want to do is forbid companies from using criteria like citizenship status, race, and other factors in setting auto insurance rates. Now, Illinois' insurance law already prohibits discrimination. State Rep. Representative Will Gazzardi says that he believes insurance agents aren't doing it maliciously, but he says regardless of that intent, it is the impact of algorithms, that is, that use factors like credit scores, home ownership, and education levels to determine premiums. When you use factors like credit score, like employment history, like home ownership, like zip code, these factors are smuggling in histories of discrimination, decades, centuries, legacies of discrimination. Zardi is sponsor of a measure that, as I said, it would forbid insurers from using criteria including age, race, ethnicity, immigration status. It would also give the State Department of Insurance more authority to review how insurers use external data in their productive models. Secretary of State Alexei Janoulias notes that drivers can be fined or have their licenses suspended if they are found to be without insurance. So it only stands to reason that if we require you to have auto insurance, then you shouldn't have to jump through multiple hoops and face judgment based on a series of criteria that have absolutely no bearing on your ability to drive. Julia says car insurance rates should be based only on factors related to driving. Things like tickets, accidents, DUIs. But auto insurance experts say that comes with its own set of problems. For example, some communities, well, over-policed. They also say taking out information used in algorithms could backfire. Policyholders benefit from risk-based pricing as insurers compete for business. We've heard already you can shop around. And they ensure that lower-risk policyholders are not subsidizing higher-risk policyholders. So more sound factors, more data actually makes unfair discrimination against protected classes less likely. Now, this comes as insurance rates have gone up in recent years. You may have noticed I did. The director of U of I's Business School's Office of Risk Management and Insurance Research says that's because the cost of claims has skyrocketed. If the cost of those repairs keep going up, cost of insurance goes up. So we've got almost 40% for motor vehicle parts. Uh, repairs are going up over 21%. And then used car values have gone up a lot in five years. So there's this debate over rates and then also the proposals giving uh, the Department of Insurance more authority to review rates and potentially have the authority to lower them. But here again, there is a dispute. Joanna, insurers say that Illinois' rates are actually relatively low nationally or when you compare it with nationally because there is a lot of competition in Illinois and they say that adding regulators would come at a cost that would be paid for by you guessed it, consumers, through their premiums. Well, that's really interesting. Thank you for that breakdown on that mm-hmm. report. And you can read Amanda's full story on our website. That's wttw.com news. Up next, the dangers of relying on social media for news and information. Stay with us.
Nearly half of surveyed Latinos rely on social media sites like TikTok and WhatsApp for their news and information, making them the largest demographic to do so. That's according to a Pew Research study on American social media usage. This has allowed for the spread of misinformation and disinformation among Latinos, where fact-checking in Spanish is less available. Here to break that down are Alba Mendola, a broadcast journalism and media literacy teacher at Cristo Rey Jesuit High School and former reporter at Telemundo Chicago, and Jim Warren, executive editor of NewsGuard, which analyzes and rates thousands of news and information sites. He's also the former managing editor at the Chicago Tribune. Thank you both for joining us. Alba, I want to start with you. You created an entire a curriculum around media literacy and work with high school students. What have you learned about how students consume news and information? Yeah. First of all, thank you for having me. And yeah, like I, I would have not been able to do it without the News Literacy Project resources. And, and that is what I want all the teachers to know. Uh, first of all, you have to understand that there is a law in Illinois that just started where uh, the, the school districts are, uh, are mandated to have a unit of media literacy in their curriculums, so uh, all the high schools. So sometimes as a teacher, you feel stressed, like, what am I going to teach this week? And if it's media literacy, where to find that information? So the News Literacy Project have it. Uh, they have a website called Checkology. You can go in and find a lot of lessons and resources for free. And you've been doing this for a couple of years, right? Yes, I've been doing this for, uh, well, teaching broadcast journalism in a dual language program uh, for about four years, but I've been teaching for seven years also AP Spanish. Oh, that's great. And how would you assess their ability to distinguish real news from fake? Yeah, it is important. Uh, we see that... Uh, like you mentioned, TikTok is it's the main source of information for them, and they need to identify what is news and what is an yes, opinion. Or I always tell them, yes. if you think, uh, you, when you see things in, the, in, in social media, it's not the same being uh, 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 somebody who's just selling you something, right? Besides of somebody that is uh, informing you. So I always tell them, do you want to be informed or you want to be influenced? Because those influencers out there and, and have their own agendas. And is there a difference between the generations, like the younger generation and the older Latinos on the way that they consume news? Exactly, yeah. So m many of the, the older generation of Latinos, they still see some, uh, you know, like go to the, the, the local news uh, in television, but the, the new generation, they, they don't watch the news like the way we, we, we did it, right? So there's, it's, it's all about in, in their social media. That's interesting. And Jim, I want to go to you. You work for NewsGuard. Can you tell me more about the work that you do? Yeah, for sure. And uh, before we get to that, I just want to, so folks know, what you just heard about what's going on in Crystal Ray is a rarity. It happens virtually nowhere in the country. Uh, media literacy is just not taught. Even the state law that was just mentioned in Illinois, the first of its kind, is an unfunded mandate. It hasn't really been put into effect. There is no curriculum standards that have been set up. There has been no money given to the legislature, by the legislature, um, to affect that law. And it was something confirmed in a recent conversation I had with Governor Pritzker. We decided five years ago that we didn't want to leave to the algorithms of Google and Facebook the decisions about what sources of information to rate high and which to rate low, particularly since Google and Facebook will not tell you 
what goes into their algorithms and why when you Google something, you get these stories from a certain organization and not another. So we decided we would use trained journalists. We came up with uh, nine non-ideological criteria. Some of them are as simple as, does it tell you, the site tell you who the owner is? Do they tell you who the editors are? Do they have a corrections policy? Do they run corrections? So we've done that now for 10,000 websites in the US, Europe, Canada, and Australia. And also now, would you believe, we're doing it for Spotify and Apple when it comes to their very own podcast. They've come to us to tell them whether their podcasts are uh, credible. And we're also doing it for big ad agencies when it comes to TV newscasts around the country. And Jim, this is mostly for English language information, but your organization has been able to analyze some Spanish news sites. Are those good sources for Spanish speakers to go to? You know, I had totally forgotten about that till this afternoon. Yes, we have um, a rated uh, sort of maybe the, the two biggest uh, t TV websites, Univision and Telemundo, and they both get a 100 from us. Now, those aren't local newspapers, which don't do nearly as well, but uh, in, the, in the minority communities, Latino and African-American, you've seen uh, newsrooms just wiped out, uh, standards in decline, and they don't do very well. But Telemundo and Univision websites get 100 from us. And just to put that in the context, in uh, Chicago, when it comes to English language sites, TTW, I checked. Uh, we give it 100. The Sun-Times gets a 100. Block Club uh, Chicago gets 100, which is rare for us. Uh, Chicago Defender fails. They get a 57 and a half. And finally, intriguingly, the Chicago Tribune does not get 100. It gets uh, a 92.5 because it refuses to disclose its ownership, which is a, uh, a somewhat notorious New York hedge fund, which perhaps they're embarrassed by. But if you're coming to that site, you can't find out who owns the Tribune. That's really interesting. And Alba, why do Latinos rely so heavily on social media for their news and information? Well, let's let's put it this way. Many, many of the Latinos who are born here, yes, they follow, they, are, they care for what the, the, the issues are here, but many are, come from other Latin American countries. And they keep, uh, you know, checking what is happening in their country. So when they check, they, they, social media is the best way to do it. And what are some tips or advice that you give your students and also to the parents yeah. on how they should be fact-checking their sources because it's so easy to go on Facebook. My mom has done it to me. She's like, hey, Joanna, look at this website. I'm like, mom, it doesn't really look right. Exactly. And I have, I, I see that all the time, like students coming and showing me, is this true? Uh, sometimes not with the deep fakes, right? Like they, you see the, the reporter's voice and you see it looks legitimate, but it's not. And, you know, they're trying to sell you something. So yeah, like I, my best advice is you have to have a little bit like a healthy dose of skepticism, right? Like, is it true? Because, you know, you are a, a journalist, you are trained, but not everybody is. And so they need to learn how to, how to check when it's true or not. And, um, and another, can I, we, Jim, can we, I we have time. Go ahead. Yeah, we go ahead. Just quickly add that what Crystal Ray is doing, which I had not known about, is amazing. And the Chicago Public Schools, the CTU, should uh, be mindful of that. We have a deal with the American Federation of Teachers, the parent of the CTU. We would offer, we give them free our service. Um, CTU, do you know that? I don't think they do. CPS, do you know that? Get this stuff into the classroom. And Jim, so we have, kids, I'm sorry, we have to leave it at that. Yeah. I apologize. Thank you so much. Thank you for both of you being part of this conversation. We have to leave it at that. Up next, a free store helping families in need. But first, a look at the weather.
Schools are just not places where students go to learn. In some cases, families rely on schools for much more than education. We went to Pilsen to meet with the Chicago Public School leader, who has opened a free store to help those in need. We have it organized by sizes, like by genders. Um, and like, again, this is not only for migrant families. This, this is, is for also everybody. For families. Yes, for every family. Like we have, uh, we already shared it with all the school principals in the area and say you have a family that is in need. It's called La Tiendita. In English, it translates to the little shop. We put together some events over the winter to do winter drives, and 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 that came to my mind that our community need help and support that is continuing and, and sustainable. So I get this idea for a little bit of my mind to establish like a store. And I like the fact called La Tiendita. The shop is located inside a Chicago public school parent university in Pilsen. Parent universities offer classes and workshops on topics like financial literacy, career development, and more. Victoria Infante oversees free programming at 35 schools. The way I see it is you can come here and, and start learning English because we have ESL classes in partnership with city colleges and they can get like the cleaning supplies that they need. And we can take a little stress to our families and, and add that to the services and programs that we have here. Infante says she's received an outpouring of support since the shop's opening. We set up the store with the help of my volunteers is like you're going to a department store and we have clothes and we have shoes and then we have toiletries and cleaning supplies and even stuff for the houses and toys and the kids come and they play with the toys. It's a one-stop shop for families to receive free immediate necessities, a space where Infante says people from nearby shelters or families in need can come in without judgment. I want people to come here to feel safe to feel that they are part of a community and they belong, that this is very important when you are an immigrant, is that you have that, you know, you are very alone. And even though you are like with a lot of people, you feel alone and you have something or you need something that connected to your roots. You can see some of my volunteers are also immigrants from Chile, so you're going to see the word poleras, that mean oh, teachers, okay. right? So See, I don't, we don't use exactly, poleras. Exactly, we don't okay. use poleras. So this is also learning two different ways. In yeah. Spanish, you can say teacher, Poleras and Playera in Mexico. Currently, the shop is looking to open on a daily basis. Right now, like, my team is just me and another person. So we, if we want to open La Tiendita every day, that, that will be my desire and wish. That's your ideal. Exactly. Goal. I need, like, the support of the community. La Tiendita is running only on donations. They've also started an online Amazon wish list for those who want to donate. For more information about that, it's all on our website. The New York Times bestseller, I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter, is considered one of Times Magazine's top 100 best young adult books of all time. And now the novel, the novel is set for a big screen debut with actress America Ferreira on top to direct. Joining us now with more is the book's author, Erica Sanchez. I'm so glad that you're here with me. I have so many questions. But first off, for those who are unfamiliar with your novel, can you give us a brief little breakdown? Sure. Well, th first, thank you for having me. And um, yeah, this is such an honor for me because I grew up watching Channel 11. I was about to ask that. You did <laughs> say that you grew up watching Channel 11. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, but the story is about a young woman. It's a coming of age story. She's um, 
suffering from mental illness and the loss of her sister. She's grappling with so many different things, um, adolescence, um, and she is just trying to find herself and understand the world. And so I don't want to give too much away because <laughs> you haven't read it, but um, it's um, there's a lot of very exciting plot twist yeah <laughs> no it's really cool and obviously a lot has changed mm -hmm. since you published this book in 2017 there has been theater interpretations and now a feature film is on the deck how are you feeling about all these changes I'm feeling really overwhelmed but really happy and grateful and you know I've been doing a lot of research on my ancestors and I'm thinking a lot about what they went through and where I come from and how amazing it is that I get to do this and so I just feel really really lucky and I'm so excited to um, make things that brown girls and brown women can connect to. And when did you find out that there was an interest in adapting your novel as a film? Well, actually, that was right away. Um, as soon as the book came out, we started talking wow. to some producers, and it's been a long journey, and <laughs> here we are. Um, originally, it was going to be with one studio, and now we're with another. And so, yeah, um, it's been really complicated, but I think we're in a really good spot. I bet so many so many faces to, like, the Hollywood world. Yeah, it's a world I don't really know, and so I'm... I'm starting to understand a little bit and um yeah i guess um we'll see how it goes yeah and talking about that what has it been like to working with america ferrera what has that journey been like i you i think you mentioned that she actually came to visit mm -hmm. she spent some time with you walk me through that a little bit yeah america and linda chavez who wrote the screenplay they came and we spent a few days together and we went around chicago and i showed them all these sites uh that are in the book and um, we had a lot of conversations and it was really wonderful and um, you know we're still early in the process we haven't started filming or anything so um, the the script is really the, the the major thing right now to complete and then um, we will move on to casting after that but um, I think exciting. she's great yeah and I, I think that um, Linda's great and that we're gonna make something really amazing. Yeah, tell me amazing. about their relationship. I mean, she's also an accomplished screenwriter. Yes, yes, she is. Yeah. So it's all Latina power, and it's all Latina power, it seems like. It is, and it's so hard to believe. I'm like, <laughs> right? who's letting us do this? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, you know, it's been so um, rare for something like this to happen, and so um, the fact that we're coming together and, and making this movie, is it feels like a miracle. That's so cool. And what has it been like for you growing up as a first-generation Mexican-American here in Chicago? Oh, God. What a question. <laughs> <laughs> it's been beautiful. It's been, it's been terrible. It's been everything in between. Uh, you know, being first-gen, there are so many things that you encounter and you don't have any guidance. You know, like going to college, for instance, uh, there's little support because, I mean, typically no one in your family is going to understand what you're going through. Um, and being a woman, too, and wanting to be independent and free and, you know, um, pushing against all of these uh, ideals that we grow up with, uh, machismo, etc. I mean, it's really tough. What do, you, what do you want people to take away from those who read your book? And what would you say you're most excited about creating this film and bringing it to life? Oh my God, no one's asked me that particular question. Um, I think what I'm most excited about is all the young women who will watch it and feel like finally someone sees them. 
uh, because I, I never really had that until I watched Real Women Have Curves with America Ferrera. That's a game changer, right? Yes, it was. <laughs> and it's just, um, you know, so... I don't want to say ironic, but it, it, it comes full circle on the fact that we're now working on, on this film. And my book was very influenced by that movie. Because you grew up here in Chicago, right? Mm -hmm. In Cicero. And it you did. talk a little bit about taking the train to the city. What do you love so much about Chicago? It's so beautiful aesthetically. Like um, our, our buildings, our, the lake, um, our summertime vibes, the, the block parties. I just think it's so fun. And I have a lot of love for it. It's a very complicated place, yes, but yes. Um, I, I really um, I really love it, and that's why I came back. And tell me a little bit about your role. You're the executive producer, correct? Yes. Oh, that's exciting. It is. You're going to add that to your list. Yeah, yeah, it's a nice list at this point. I, I just, I can't even believe it. Like, wow, I'm going to really do this. Um, it's really wonderful. What's a couple words that you would like to tell to the young generation when it comes to just growing up as a first generation? That you deserve good things, you deserve happiness, um, you should love yourself and um, you know, lift up your community as much as you can. And um, yeah, just um, don't feel guilty for doing so because a lot of us carry so much guilt. And look where it could take you. Yeah. You're doing a whole movie now, that's amazing. Thank you. Well, yeah. thank you so much. I'm so, I'm so looking forward to seeing the film come into, come into action. Thank you. <laughs> Again, the book is called I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter. You can read an excerpt on our website. And that's our show tonight. Join us tomorrow night at 5.37 for the Weekend Review. Now, from all, those, from all of us here in Chicago tonight, Latino Voices, I'm Joan Hernandez. Stay healthy, stay safe. Buenas noches. Closed captioning is made possible by Robert A. Clifford and Clifford Law Offices, a Chicago personal injury and wrongful death firm that supports free educational initiatives in the legal profession.